Without any further ado, let's uh, start the reading for today's uh, Sunday message. Uh, we're reading from the book of Acts, chapter 26, verses 9 through 18. Uh, we'll do the responsive reading. I'll do one verse, and uh, the younger Pastor Charlie will go ahead and do the other verse. Uh, I'm sure he's able to read. Okay. Uh, if you'll stand with me in the reading. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Jerusalem, under authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At about noon, King Agrippa, I, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and, and turn them, them from darkness, darkness to light, to light and from the from power of Satan to God so that so they, they may receive forgiveness, forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to come to worship you on this first Sunday of uh, 2021. Lord, um, as every year passes, that's uh, that much time closer to your arrival, your second coming. Help us be prepared, Lord. And we ask that in this new year, uh, through this message, that you would uh, allow us to rededicate ourselves uh, away from the distractions of this world and to make ourselves entirely available to you in your Spirit's power so that you may do what, what it pleases you with us and that we'll be sanctified in such a way that we would have that assurance and the security of our salvation so that we may also be useful out in the field in sharing this, this precious, precious message of your gospel to the people around us. May the preacher today speak with uh, your spiritual conviction and power. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and right before you. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray all of these things. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Uh, it is a great pleasure to deliver to you the Word of God on this first Sunday of 2021. My goodness. Um, why don't we greet one another, uh, including those of you at home, since you guys are going to take yourself, uh, put yourself on camera, take yourself off of mute real quickly, and uh, let's uh, consider greeting one another with a Happy New Year, and add to that, let us become the miracle of God this year. Okay? So let's uh, greet to your neighbors and to your people. Happy New Year. Let us be the miracle of God this year in 2021. Happy New Year, you guys. Wow. 
uh, in the new year, uh, during Sunday service, I want to encourage you to have your camera on while we're on Zoom. It's really a matter of uh, common courtesy. As you see me, uh, you see me uh, while you're on there. It's, uh, it only makes sense to make yourself seen. And uh, all the more because uh, we're coming together in worship, no less, right? We're coming to worship. And we want to foster a culture of openness in that way so that we don't hide behind any veil. Um, we, remember, faith is built on community, and community is not a matter of, of you knowing the people around you, but also being known by the people, by the same people. Showing our faces each time is a good exercise that leads us towards a gladness for the other. I don't know. I don't understand some of you guys why why you guys hide. You know when you uh, when we all we all delight delight in your uh, being together. Anyway, uh, we've come a long way in our study of the book of Acts, and uh, we're doing uh, we're going through the twenty sixth chapter. And after this one, we only have two more chapters left to finish the entire book. The only historical account in the New Testament, apart from the Gospels, of the birth of the church and the ongoing mission of God. Speaking of which, uh, Peter and Mama Kim just arrived yesterday. What, what time was their actual arrival, like 11.45? Okay, and so did he get home like at 1.30? 2 o'clock? 2 o'clock, yeah. Well, praise God. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing from your brother a wonderful testimony, also from uh, Kim Kwantanim. In our text today, we see Paul in what seems like a long-anticipated chance, this opportunity of sharing the gospel with King Agrippa, the last king of Judea during the Roman Empire. In our section of scripture, Paul's personal testimony can be divided up to three sections. As I'm reading the text, I'm looking at the big sub-themes of this text, and I decided that it will be, I'll call one darkness, and the second one I'll call light, and the last one I'll call turning point. So the three sections are, one, darkness, and then the second one, light, and then the third one, turning point. Now, by this time, we've been, since we've been studying Acts, and his conversion story happens more than once, we know all very well what Paul had to go through to become the missionary par excellence that he has become today. He starts his story as a zealous Pharisee, in the very same situation as the people who are hunting him down. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth, verse 9 reads. That's how he starts his introduction to, the, to his story. And this is the human condition without the gospel of Jesus Christ, the human condition in sin. Every human being who is unaware of the Lord Jesus is in what we can call darkness. Starting this year, uh, our quiet time reading material from Living Life is focusing on the first letter of John. And the first three letters of John is uh, the really best place to go if you're, if you're confronting a new believer, if you want to be invitational about, if you want to usher people into the faith. And, and 66 books of the Bible can be pretty daunting, but when you look at uh, a good point of entry, the first three letters of John, very good place to go. And I was, as I was preparing for today's message, uh, I was surprised to find that John, uh, the apostle who writes the letter, introduces the, the faith of Christian faith in the same terms of darkness and light. 
When we think about darkness and light, it is a very basic experience that is shared by all across cultures. When you look at all different cultures, everybody understands what darkness is and what light is. And uh, let me share with you a couple of verses reading or reading from uh, New Year's Day on Friday. Uh, this is from the letter of John, chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from Him and declared to you, God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His word is not in us. Now, as we read how Paul recounts his story today, it would appear that he did not think of himself as being in darkness, as there was nothing hidden about what he was doing. He states that he was fully convinced of opposing Jesus of Nazareth. That was the right thing to do in his mind. Paul was conferred authority from chief priests to put many of the Lord's people in prison, and he cast votes in favor of some of them being put to death. That's going on the extreme, right? And he was doing none of these things in hiding or in secret. He was exercising what he thought was the righteousness of God and out in the open public. But the way Paul talks about his past is that he was acting in ignorance. He did not know Jesus Christ. Whenever we act without knowledge, this is akin to being in darkness. When we speak of darkness, we may think this to mean something somber, dreary, or sad, but it can also mean hiddenness, covert, something that we do in secret. And darkness is oppressive, it's heavy, there is no freedom in the darkness, it's devoid of joy. These are all the things that we can kind of you know, push into that corner that we would label as darkness. And according to Paul, and how he frames it, Darkness is a condition where you do not have a reference of the source of illumination. There is no light in that darkness. Have you ever, in the, in the middle of the night, you know, and when you wake up to go to the bathroom, as you stumble your way there, you notice that without light, you can't really see anything. You cannot see in the dark. And you cannot even see what it is that you are doing yourself. That is a human condition of darkness from which Jesus comes to liberate each and every one of us. So the first point of the message being, darkness is where you cannot see what it is that you're doing. This past week I was reading this old book. Um, it's called People of the Lie, The Hope of Healing of Human Evil. And the author, M. Scott Peck, Christian psychiatrist, he shares of a, a case study where this working class parents, they had one of their sons, Stewart, at age of 16, commits suicide around the month of June. And sometime later, their younger son, Bobby, he had developed depression. Only 15 years old, 
not even knowing how to drive yet, he had stolen a car and crashed it and was caught by the police. So the court had appointed this Bobby to Dr. Peck for psychiatric evaluation. And as Dr. Peck was in, uh, interviewing Bobby, it was later discovered that this depression was not caused only by the sorrow of, uh, of losing his brother to suicide. It was quite a bit more than that. For Christmas, so if his brother killed himself in June, like only six months later, his parents had given him a 22 caliber rifle as a Christmas gift to Bobby. And uh, it would not have been uncommon during those times. I mean, if you've ever been in Boy Scouts, there is actually like a, a merit badge you can earn for marksmanship. So to give a boy around his age a 22 caliber rifle, no big deal, right? It's not, it's not unusual. But the problem is that this 22 caliber rifle that Bobby's parents presented to Bobby as Christmas present, it was the very same gun that his brother Stuart had killed himself with. And it just turns out that Bobby and his brother, they had gotten into a fight before uh, his brother had committed suicide. And, uh, and when he had received that gift, it was almost as if his parents were telling him without words, now go and do like your brother did. And in blaming himself for his brother's death, he went out to steal the car. And in acting out that way, it was a criminal label that he had placed on himself. And it was as if uh, stealing the car was, was really in order to save his own life. Because the doctor, as, the doctor, as he's able to see it from his perspective, what, is this, what, what, is his parent, what are his parents thinking of giving the, same, the same, very same gun to the, younger, the young man here? Later, Dr. Peck cautiously confronted Bobby's parents about the gun, but they did not think that giving Bobby the same gun that Stuart had killed himself with was in the least bit evil. Just by a show of, like, nod your hands if you think, do you think it was evil for their parents to give the same gun that his brother? It's evil, right? I mean, it's way out there. It's just really just a despicable act. Their excuse was that they, they were not very rich, and uh, any kind of boy, any boy would, would have been thrilled to receive that gift. Turns out that he didn't even want a gun. He wanted a tennis racket for Christmas. What kind of parents were these? Who in their right mind would give the suicide weapon of their older son that the older son used to the younger son in the very same year as a Christmas gift? In the case of Bobby's parents, their disregard for Bobby in that Christmas present alone tells a lengthy story of how messed up things were in their home. Dr. Peck concludes that the source of the problem was not Bobby, but a deep, probably incurable sickness in his parents. Bobby's parents do not see what they were doing as profoundly wrong, negligent, unloving, and reckless endangerment. They did not see the possibility that Bobby could have done the same thing with the very same weapon. Now in Paul's case, he was actively engaged in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, casting vote for the death of his followers, trying to make the Christians blaspheme, and he was just obsessed with persecuting the followers of the way. In effect, these are, things, these are all the things that are done by someone who is in darkness. Paul did not know what he was doing. 
These parents probably did not know what they were doing. And much in the same way, those who are now attacking Paul, trying to get him, you know, imprisoned and killed, they don't know what they're doing either. Jesus' own words, while he was on the cross, he said, as Luke records it in chapter 23, verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Think to yourself now. Do a reflection. Do a spiritual reflection of your, of your deeds in the last year, 2020. Have you ever been in that situation? When you were doing something hurtful, damaging, negligent, uncaring, disrespectful. These are all along the lines of action, attitudes, and speech of those who are in the dark. If your actions are motivated by resentment, disdain, rebellion, or a misbegotten sense of superiority, when you despise others in your, in your attitude, those things are well within the realm of darkness. It's within the darkness that you do these things. A state of ignorance devoid of the light. Now, Paul continues his story in front of Agrippa, where on his way to Damascus with all the papers and authority to, under the chief priest to put away Christians, it is none other than Jesus himself who appears as light. Now remember, G- Paul was acting all this, you know, in his, in, his, uh, in, his, in his perfection in his mind, he was acting out in ignorance and therefore in darkness. But who shows up into the scene? It's Jesus as the light. This is the second section of today's text. It is the light of Jesus where God shows you what you are doing. Now first we notice that the appearance was a literal light from heaven. He's not talking about some figurative thing. It's like a light shone in my heart. It's a light that was physically shining. In fact, Paul describes it that it was brighter than the sun at noonday. So if you can imagine it, in route to Damascus at noon, at the height of sun's brightness, a much brighter, blinding light, in fact, shone from the sky bringing those on the journey down to the ground. For all of us living here on earth, what's the brightest light that we know? The brightest light that we know is ultimate source of light is the sun. But the light of Jesus is mentioned as brighter. Another thing that we notice is that Jesus spoke in a literal voice, speaking in a specific language. It's identified here in the text as Aramaic. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus does not say, why are you going after my people? Why are you persecuting my church? He doesn't say that. He says, why do you persecute me? Attacking his church is the very same thing as attacking him. Jesus takes the attack on his people very, very personally. He, he feels the pain when we go through the pain. The last thing we know, uh, when we look at this word um, in, the, in the Greek lexicon, Actually, uh, I just skipped the part because uh, I should just print these out from now on. Anyway, um, last thing we notice is that Jesus says something kind of puzzling here. He says, uh, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. I remember the first time I came across this verse, I, I, did not, I had no idea what it meant, but goad in the Greek, ketron, it's a, it's a long iron stick with a sharp edge at the tip that is used by a farmer to gently urge and then guide the ox to move forward or to either direction. 
So when you look up this in the Greek lexicon, to kick against goads, it is an old proverb meaning useless, perilous, or ruinous resistance. When the animal doesn't respond to the goading, it's going to get pricked hard. It's going to hurt, right? Sometimes the angry ox, they'll get annoyed, and then they'll kick back, and kicking back against the goat is going to be inflicting pain on whom? Its, it's, uh, its owner? No, it, the ox is going to suffer the great pain. In Paul's action in the darkness, he's likened to an angry and frustrated animal kicking against the long staff of the good shepherd. What Jesus is telling Paul is, it is not hard for me. It is not hard for my church that you are persecuting. But it is hard for you, Paul, to kick against the goads. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, up to this moment, Paul had been acting like a stubborn animal, angry, fueled by his pride, along with that of his Pharisaic uh, Jewish compatriots. Every time you find yourself as an aggressor in the relationship of those around you, consider. Consider if you are taking the Lord Jesus into account, and in fact, if you could be along the line of kicking against the goads, resisting His grace at cost to damage, at cost to damage to your own self, right? Who are you? Paul is asking, and uh, the answer comes: I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. There are many people in the world who may disregard us for our faith because they don't know Jesus. They, they disregard us for, for, for being believers in our faith. And they only do this because they're in darkness. They don't know. And whether they are coming to church or not, if they don't know Jesus, as the, as the all-knowing and all-powerful Lord of all the earth, there is no reference to an absolute or concrete reality. You know, when I was a young man, when I was back in college, the reason why uh, I majored in psychology was something in me told me that uh, as the time approached, as the time went by, there was going to be higher and higher incidences of mental illness. That's, that's primarily one of the reasons why I took psychology as my major, and, and I want to be of some help some way. And uh, the reason why it's getting crazier and crazier is because everybody is right. Everybody is an author and an absolute, like some kind of authority in the reality that we live in. So when we have conflict of opinion, when we have conflict of, of, the, of our views, it becomes irreconcilable. When we all very well know that Jesus is the author of the, of the, of the actual reality, the truth, we think that we proclaim ourselves and our views as truth. And so, you know, you're going to find a lot more uh, what I could call, call, I can only call disorder and a lot more darkness in the, in the time ahead of us over and against the, uh, the, the, the light that is breaking into, into each person that are being saved. Every personal opinion might as well be equally true in this case. If you did not have an absolute reference as Jesus, or the Lord, or God, absolute truth that's unchanging. But if we thought that everybody's opinion was equally valid, we know that's not really, that's not reality. You can't have one person claiming that the sky is blue, and the other person, you know, just because the other person seems to be louder in his or her claim that the sky is red, it doesn't make it so. In the absence of the light of God, the truth of Jesus, 
truth of Jesus, it is always the lesser truth of the strong man that tends to silence the rest. But the tragedy of it is that the lesser truth in the end is not even truth at all. The truth of Christ is continually challenged by deceptions of darkness. And in humanity, the God of this age that is still fighting tooth and nails against his saints is Satan. And it uses every sin tendency of ours at, our, at, a, at its own disposal. So we, you have to understand that there's this conflict still going on. There's a conflict between the light and the dark. So my question to you this uh, afternoon is this. Is the light of Jesus in you? Are you aware that God is weighing your motives and your actions? Whatever it is that you may be doing, He's not looking at just the actions. He's looking at the core, the center, your motivation. What is motivating you to do what you do and say what you say? We don't come together as church to find some advantage in life, to find some spiritual edge to fare better than those who live without faith. We dwell in His light because we are no longer the people of darkness. We dwell in His light because we are now the people of His light. Amen? Amen. I don't, sound, I don't feel like it's entirely convincing. That was a kind of a wimpy amen. But let the light shine in your hearts now. This is what happened to Paul right away. Look at what Jesus had told Paul, at least the way he reports it in our text today. In verse 16, this is Jesus telling Paul, Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. So Jesus puts Paul to work without any delay. It is true that later on after this encounter, he has to make sense of everything that he had known. He takes some time off to, what just happened, right, to make sense of it. But he, he has no choice at this time. When he meets Jesus in that way, he has to obey. I mean, he's, first of all, he's incapacitated. He can't see out of his eyes, right? And also we see that uh, this appearance of Jesus was not a one-time deal. Jesus appears to Paul again later. And in light of all that Paul had gone through and he had done against the church, I mean, equal to persecuting Jesus himself, Jesus offers an irresistible grace. An irresistible grace. Verse 17, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles, I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. As Paul is commissioned, in a single instance, he changes from the foremost opponent of the faith into its chief advocate. That's a drastic change, brothers and sisters. It's the 180 degrees. This is the same Paul who ends up writing 13 letters of the New Testament out of 27 books in his entire corpus. That's just under 50% of the foundations of Christian theology. Everything that we have to know about Jesus, right? Almost half of it comes from Paul, right? So the third point that I want to wrap uh, neatly in a bow for today's message is that 
there is a definitive point when you turn around in your life. That's what repentance is. Turning from the darkness into light. What is repentance? I have preached before that repentance is not a one-time thing, but there's always a continual thing. It's a continual thing. We continue to repent because we get easily distracted. But there is. All the following, the subsequent repentances, they begin at one point when you have said yes to Jesus Christ. Examine your lives. It could have been like a, uh, a retreat. It could have been before you went to seminary. It could have been any one of those days. It could have been like an early morning prayer where you came to and you just told them, I'm sick of living the way I'm living right now. I, I want you. I want you, Jesus. Search your hearts for that moment in time. It was definitely there. The moment you say yes to Jesus, your old person dies and a new person begins to live. This is what they call, what we call, the born-again experience. What Paul is describing in his conversion story in front of King Agrippa is his born-again experience. From the very moment that Paul had met Jesus, he had become vulnerable. From the aggressor, the hunter, to becoming the hunted. But I want you to notice that he's not the victim here. He is being hunted, but he's not victim. As Jesus says, he himself will have to rescue Paul from his own people as well as the Gentiles. Why? Because Jesus is sending Paul to them. To the very same people that were going to attack him, just as Paul was once while he was in the darkness attacking Christ and his people. Paul, the man who has seen the light, Jesus is sending Paul, who is now able to see the truth with an eye-opening message to those who are still blind. It's an exciting, exciting part to hear from. I mean, it's the part of what happens to Paul is just an exciting thing because we anticipate similar things happening in our own lives and the people around us. What do you guys think? When you reflect upon your own life, do you also have a story that at least follows the pattern in the same way? Pattern of Paul. Was there a time when you lived acting out in darkness of ignorance? But since knowing Jesus, since knowing that he had paid for your sins, that he became for you the way, the truth, and the life that goes into eternity, now that you are in the light, has that happened to you? Or are you still kicking against the goads? Is Jesus a real person who inspires in you something truly holy? Something that you recognize, wait a minute, this is not me. This is something that's separate from me. This, this impetus, this, this drive that I have, this urge is not coming from me, but it's definitely holy. Are you, do you have that in your heart now? That's the question. That's the question. Has there been a definite turning point in your life when you said, I no longer want to live insisting in my own way. I want to truly yield to the way of Christ, to, to the way of the Master. Or better yet, 
Do you feel the commission of Paul burning in your heart, in your own heart, you know? I want to be like Paul. I want to go the extra, extra miles, you know, in fulfilling the commission. Because the text we read today, as it is, takes place only because Paul is fulfilling his commission. The text that we read, where he's preaching in front of Agrippa, is happening as Paul is fulfilling the will of Jesus. We're able to read about it on this first Sunday of 2021 because he did it and because it has a bearing in our lives today. If you have submitted to Jesus in that way, I would love it for you guys to be able to share that during your house church meeting during this, uh, during this Friday the 8th, this coming Friday. Share. Did you have a, a moment when you decided, even without some supernatural feeling, you just said, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. And this is a sincere, I really do. If you've had that, share that, share that. Because that's a precious, precious thing. It didn't happen with you alone. We may think that it was our own decision, but God has something to do with it. But if you have not, if you have somehow slipped through the cracks all these years going to church, but you never had that encounter moment where you were at the crossroads, so to speak, where you had to choose one way or the other, I want to extend to you an invitation today to turn and repent. From darkness to light. From the power of Satan to God. And you're turning and you're saying yes to Jesus. You receive the forgiveness of sins. And what's more, you receive a place among those who are being sanctified by faith, cleansed, purified. I don't know if you, if you, if you have experienced that kind of like the spiritual bath where you come out feeling like a brand new person. That is what God is inviting you into today. There are people in the church who live out an inauthentic Christianity. There are also people who have not yet fully crossed over, injured while riding the fence. So they do not get to savor the whole Jesus. They have not tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We can question whether they fully experience the forgiveness of sins in their hearts or if they are, are quite in that place among those who are being sanctified. Because the process of sanctification is not always pleasant. It's not always pleasant when you thought that you were doing really well, but then in the middle of it all, in, your, in the middle of your, you thought that you were washing your clothes, and then right in the middle, there's a, there's a spot that you'd miss this big, you know? Are we in that place being sanctified by our faith in Jesus Christ? That's the question for us today. There are some preachers out there who reduce our salvation as a matter of transaction. Like merely a decision that, that we make, like a New Year's resolution. How many of you have made New Year's resolutions this year, this New Year? Anyone? Nobody here? <laughs> That's pretty wise, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it lasts for me about 10 days. They say that if you keep it up for 21 days... There's some habits, some change happens, but um, 
the truth of the matter is our salvation was indeed a work that was entirely done by Jesus Christ. There's nothing that we can do to add to it. We only need to trust Him and believe. Do you trust Him and do you believe in Him? Saying yes to Jesus once does not liberate us to live out the rest of our lives according to our preferences and conveniences. Saying yes to Jesus once means I yield that throne where I make the decisions on my own. I'm, I'm, I'm vacating that throne now. I'm allowing the Lord to sit there and be my Lord, right? Because as long as we insist on our own way, we'll still find ourselves in darkness. This is reported by young churchgoers, you know, widely. People that have been attending church, fervently loving Christ for some period, and then some difficulty happens, or, you know, they get, a, they get into, they have a, a girlfriend or something that happens, and then they start to stray, and they find themselves in the very same labyrinth that they, they were before. Before they were found, and before, before, while they were lost, they found them, find themselves groping in the dark, darkness again. We are now the people of His light, the people of His truth. And as we are just that, there can be no shifting shadows in us. You guys know that song, right? I have decided to follow Jesus. You know, there, there's, a, there's a teaching that they go against. It's, it's called decisionism. I made a decision to follow Christ. You know where that decision really sees uh, where the rubber meets the road? The actuality? No turning back. No turning back. No turning back. I know that this is the only way for me for the rest of my life unto eternity. You have to know that. We have no option of turning back around and, you know, doing this crazy pirouetting 360 back around like a revolving door. That's not how the walk, of, walk with the Lord works. Let me share with you a portion of scripture from yesterday's quiet time reading material. Reading from 1 John, now 2nd chapter, uh, verses 8 through 11. This is the elder, John the elder, the apostle John, speak, uh, writing to all of us. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Paul is preaching Christ in front of King Agrippa because now he loves. Paul is a lover of Christ and the lover of his fellow man. And as long as Paul is preaching the gospel out of love, Nothing in him can make him stumble. As long as we're living out the rest of our days out of the love of Christ, nothing in us can make us stumble. Now that's an assurance 
that I want to take home with me. No matter where I, no matter where I go, I want to take that assurance with me. He was once blind by the rage against this new sect, against this Christ he did not know. He was blind, but now he sees. That is very much also my own testimony. I was once blind, but now I see. I see what I was not able to see. I see why I was so wrong and so lost all of those years before I too came into his light. Before he shone his light to me, I wasn't able to see just how much I was in the wrong. During all those years, I thought that I was in the right too, you know. So, is your faith changing you? Or have you customized the faith to suit your own purposes? That happens in the church too. We change doctrine around to, to make it fit us. Do you submit and serve the Lord, or do you still treat Jesus as your personal genie to meet your personal wishes? God, grant me this wish today. Paul did not know where he was going until he had met with Jesus. Now, with his own eyes wide open, he's being sent. To what ends? To open the, their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Will you repent so that you may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among us? Those of us who are being sanctified by faith in Jesus Christ. Now jog your memory now. We're not doing an altar call here per se. But we are inviting you into the faith. If you've never had an opportunity where the messenger, the sermon preacher, opened it up for you like this. Where you, where you have in the liberty of your own homes. In the quietude of this empty space that we're sharing together. Where in your heart, as you kneel before him and say, Lord, I want you. Is it true all those things that they say about you? If it is true, I want you. I want to taste it for myself. Let us take a moment to pray. I am led to pray for those of you who may be in our present company, who have a burning desire to come to the Lord, to really turn away from the darkness and come into his light. Because as Paul was witness to him, so am I. I attest to you that the Lord is true and he is real. Lord, I want to come to you today on the first day of 2021 to surrender myself to you. I truly desire to, for you to be the Lord of my life, the reason for my faith. I confess you to be my Savior and Redeemer so that I can have my life open to yours and so that you can do as you wish with me. I want to come to you and taste that the Lord is good. I want to be the blessed person who takes refuge in you. Just as you rescued Paul from his own people and from the Gentiles, give us this day protection from spirits of iniquity and the threat of illnesses. And may our hearts be found now in 2021 in that unique gladness that only you can bring. May all of us here lack nothing as we retain the fear of you, as we take refuge in you during this new year. 
May none of us be found condemned. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Now at this time, we'll have a time of communion. Uh, did everybody in the present company get the, our kit, communion kit? Okay. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he grabbed the bread and he broke it apart and he shared it with his disciples and he told them, do this every time you, um, every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and after he prayed over it, he said, this is my blood. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So whether we eat or drink, we always do it for the glory of God, but this is a special remembrance of the flesh that was broken apart for our sins and the, the life-giving blood that gives us life today. So uh, why don't you break the bread and then take the cup with me and then I'll pray over us.